Welcome back to the Football Dive podcast. It's a brand new Premier League season and I've got both Miles and Dave here with me to probably over-exaggerate everything we've seen and blow it back <laughs> out of proportion like we tend to do on the first day. Uh, a few twists and turns, but generally the script was followed by most teams. Miles, first of all, welcome back. How are you? Oh, I was hoping to be better after the opening weekend than I am, but generally speaking, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dwell on Villa's plight later on, no doubt. Uh, Dave, dare I ask how you're feeling this weekend? How have you been? Carried on from where we left off, haven't we? <laughs> Pretty much. It feels like copy and paste, doesn't it? Groundhog Day all over again. But again, yeah, we'll delve all into to United's shortcomings as well. But I think we'll start in a place none of us really want to, and that's with Liverpool, if that's OK with you guys. So Fulham 2, Liverpool 2. Cracking game and a great return to the Premier League for Fulham. And I worried about Fulham, I really did. I really worried about Alexander Mitrovic as well and whether he could make the step up. All those questions answered emphatically in this game. And a Liverpool comeback with Darwin Nunes thrown in for good measure. Miles, pretty good game all in all to start talking, isn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, to be honest, it was not the result I think anyone would have expected. Right. Fulham answered a lot of critics early in the season. We know Marco Silva is a decent coach and he, he's clearly developed some really good players there. And their tactics were just spot on in this game. And the shortcomings of Liverpool were exactly the ones that we potentially could have foreseen at the start of the season. They had a midfielder go off injured. They lack depth in midfield. Trent Alexander-Arnold can't defend. And those things were what cost them in this game. So massive credit to Fulham, particularly Mitrovic and, and his performance. I wonder if this might spark something in the transfer market for Liverpool to try and make sure they don't lose ground on City because this, this should be a wake-up call for them. When you say Trent Alexander-Arnold can't defend, it's not their only undoing, is it? You've slated their midfield a few times, Liverpool. Mm. How do you think they're held up this time around? I think, obviously, when Thiago goes off injured, that, that costs them. Henderson still, to me, he just doesn't look ready for the season yet. And he might grow into the season, but he's another year older. They need depth there. It's so obvious that they need depth there. I said it in our predictions as well. I really think that Liverpool need to develop in that area and maybe Trent moving there would be an answer. And I think in this game, Fulham absolutely dominated in that area. And one person they couldn't keep up with was former Manchester United player Andreas Pereira. All right, yeah. we've seen enough of him to know his form is sporadic at best and he may not maintain us into the next game, but he was excellent in this game and Liverpool didn't have an answer for it. Their lack of depth... And once again, Trent not being able to defend at the back post really cost them. It's um, strange to see Liverpool start the season 2 or when I think in this game in particular, you'd almost written it off in your head as being three points in the bag. But Dave, that wasn't mm. to be the case. Uh, it was a good comeback, to be fair. Uh, Darwin Nunes adds a really interesting option from the bench, doesn't he? So what do you make of, first of all, Mitrovic and Fulham's fight? Because they set up really well, didn't they? Uh, but then also Liverpool's comeback. What does that say about them this season? We're kind of all lines have been on Mitrovic, I think, coming into this season, seeing if he can actually do it in the Premier League on the back of you know that phenomenal season that he had last year. You know, he's, he's had the best start possible, really, with two goals. And Miles mentioned Pereira there. I think another player who performed really well was Panina in that midfield. And uh, Liverpool just really couldn't cope with uh, their tenacity in midfield. And it was... Real eye and such a, a great game to kick off the Saturday with Fulham hit the post just before uh, Liverpool hit that equaliser to make it 1 1. And you know, if they'd scored that second goal, it could have taken the game away from them. Um, I think Liverpool can be quite, you know, consider them quite fortunate really to come away with, from the game with anything because I thought Fulham would much the better team. That's saying quite a bit, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people have written Fulham off already as, as early season relegation candidates. That might still prove to be the case. And as I said at the start, 
it's easy to blow these kind of first first games out of proportion, isn't it? And look at them into too much detail. So we won't overanalyze the meaning of it for both teams. But is it too early to talk about title race yet? Is it too early to think, well, that's two points dropped for Liverpool, do you think, Miles? It's not too early because that that is the kind of numbers that these two teams post where any points dropped are significant in the race. Normally, City are the slow starters and they tend to build momentum through the season. We've seen that over the last two years. So Liverpool will have wanted to set the benchmark here and particularly at a newly promoted side, this should have been a a pretty favourable fixture. I think there's signs there that will be encouraging for Liverpool, of course. You talked about Nunes' impact off the bench. I doubt he'll be on the bench next week. He'll start Mm. their next game. They obviously were trying to bed him in and see what his fitness was like, but he looked so sharp. I thought it was really interesting that his goal, he took it incredibly well. He lifts the ball. And if you noticed, two minutes earlier, exactly the same chance comes in for him. Salah gets on the on, down that wing, puts the ball across the six-yard box, and he tries that exact flip along the ground, and the keeper saves it. He does it again, and he manages to lift it over the keeper. And that, to me, the intelligence and the movement and that connection on only his third, fourth game for Liverpool, that's yeah. a brilliant sign. So it, you can't say Liverpool are written off. You also can't say that Fulham are safe from this. They're such a hard team to call. When I did my predictions, I was really... I actually think Fulham have got enough to stay up in some areas, but the worry that I had was what they have at the back, and that cost them in this mm. game. They didn't have any centre-backs, really. It looks like they're signing Issa Diop from West Ham now to strengthen in that area, so that will be something. If they can solidify that back line, then they definitely will stay in the Premier League. Mitrovic is not the player that he was two years ago. Marco Silva has improved him massively, and he can bully defenders, as he showed in this game. He made mm. Van Dijk look very average, and that yeah. is a tall ask. That's a big, big compliment to Mitrovic. And that ball at the back post that Trent Alexander-Arnold just didn't know how to deal with, he will not be the only defender that falls victim to that with Mitrovic this season. So Fulham showed some real signs of promise, but they also showed that they really need to sort their back line out because they shouldn't have let Liverpool back in the game. I think Darwin Nunes is one of these players that I think is criticised because he looks like Andy Carroll in some ways. I feel like that's (laughs) criticism straight away. I think it's going to be the same player. But yeah, I'm so stunned and kind of really pleasantly surprised by his intelligence and his movement. And another player I think I'm equally, not stunned necessarily, but just still in awe to see him close up in the Premier League is Erling Erling Haaland. I I thought he was just unplayable. And the the way he moved for City's uh, second goal especially, but also to win the penalty was... Mm hugely intelligent and to make to City winning 2-0 was a great start for them and a great start for him it's like a monkey off his back after the community show wasn't it Dave I thought that kind of boded really uh, really kind of ominously for the rest of the Premier League yeah I think critics are very quick to you know, jump on the players backs on especially in terms of when they've come in for quite a big transfer fee but I don't think there was any doubt in you know in Haaland really coming in we all knew that he'd inevitably get goals in the end and you know to one decisive finish and obviously um, that penalty definitely was a perfect opportunity for him to get off the mark. I'm sure it probably did lift a little bit of of pressure for him. And, um, you know, it was relatively comfortable for them in the end, really. We've seen West Ham get, you know, results um, against City last season. They had that two-all draw, I think, in the end, wasn't it? But yeah, a really encouraging start for them and I can imagine... 
their fans are excited about what's to come now. And uh, obviously a clean sheet. Yeah, well, City, we said traditionally slow starters, Miles, but flying out of the traps this time round against pretty decent West Ham team as well. What did you make of the performance? I think it was really interesting because having Haaland there, I thought it might almost unsettle their forward line and mean that they were only aiming for Haaland and not really know how to connect with that. Whereas actually, what it has done is just add another dimension. It hasn't stopped them from playing like Man City. They play like Man City, but now with another avenue of movement. And that's fantastic. I said earlier that I think that this season will be a massive breakthrough for Grealish at City because he's got someone to provide for. And when you see Haaland's movement, in this game, it was De Bruyne that, that capitalised on that and Gundogan for the first pass. And you really saw that killer instinct. And that's something that they did lack at times last season. And definitely something that will help them go further this year, particularly in the Champions League. He looked outstanding. And all yeah. he needed were two moments. I think in the first half, I think he only touched the ball about 14 times or something like yeah. that. And yet he'd still got his goal. And, and that's what Haaland will give this team an added dimension and something else for them to focus on when they go forward. I thought it was fantastic. And he clearly set such a high standard for himself. I'm sure we've all laughed at his post-match interview. Where he <laughs> talked about how yeah. he wasn't good enough, let's say, because there was a moment and you saw it and you saw the frustration in him when Gundogan gets to the byline and cut the ball back. Fantastic ball. Haaland didn't follow it. He stayed on the edge of the box and he looked yeah. so angry at himself, but also a bit shattered. So if this is him on the first day of the season when he's not quite match fit, and fully integrate into that city setup. Imagine what we're going to see in five or six weeks. Yeah, he's a physical presence, and I think the kind of turn of speed he showed was was incredible. I've not really seen somebody as physical as him possess that much pace. And I mm. think you can see him darting into channels. You can see him darting into space, and he reads it so well. And I think it will make City a lot more a director team, which is weird for them. They build up so much patience in their play, mm. and they've now got to suddenly get just past the halfway line and go. Where's Haaland? And <laughs> look for him straight away. And they can do that. And you, you, like you say, they've got the players like Grealish who have been sort of conditioned by Pep Guardiola to be patient and get the ball into the box. But now they can actually go, do you know what? He's made a run. I'm just going to play through. And uh, I think that will be the difference for City this season. We'll have fewer possession stats for them to, to rave about and just a lot more kind of direct goals. I mean, correct, correct me if you think I'm wrong. Yeah, I do. I'll be totally honest. I don't think we will see City do that. I think if anyone's going to learn to be patient, it's going to be Haaland where he probably will make six or seven of those runs in a game where they won't look for him. And that'll yeah. be really frustrating to someone with as much character as he has. But there'll be a moment like there was in this game where De Bruyne will look up and go, actually, this is my best option. If you remember at the end of last season when Grealish talked about how he's, he never knows when the right moment to take a player on and yeah. then when the right moment to play in Man City system is, that's what Haaland needs to learn. When's the right moment for me to go, just give me the ball and when's the best moment for me to settle into Man City's system? And I think we'll actually see him adapt before we see Man City adapt. And that's okay. It gives I, I them the opportunity to have the outlet. And you saw it in this game where every now and again, they could put a ball in any metre of space in that final third and he would reach it before a West Ham defender would. That's a great outlet to have. But yeah. we didn't see it happen eight times in the game. Probably only saw it happen three times. Mm. And he scored from two of them. It's weird. He could have had a hat-trick, couldn't he, as well, really? Yeah. The amount of um, near chances he had and half chances that he's probably going to kick himself for, really, for, for not yeah. taking more advantage of. It's testament to him and his, his competitiveness that he has. And, yeah, Dave, what did you make of, of Haaland's presence in City's game? And, and how do you think this looks for, for their prospects going forward? I mean, it wasn't a fully fit Haaland, was it, really, either? He even admitted that, but looked pretty impressive. 
No, and again, yeah, it's going to take time for obviously the players at City and Holland to get used to each other. As you know, as we've said the last couple of weeks, it's it's going to be a, a work in progress. But obviously, the encouraging thing is, you know, he's already off the mark, and it's he's only going to get more opportunities the more they play together, the better they understand each other's games and. Like you mentioned there, what what Miles says, there's other players like, for instance, Grealish, who on the back of last season, who you know would have probably hoped for a better first season. Then you imagine he'll be looking to kick on as well. So it's it's encouraging time for City and scary times for the rest of the league if uh, they're only going to you know improve further improve from here. And mm. um, it, it, how much it looks like they're potentially maybe finishing the transfer window. They might be looking for another fullback potentially. Obviously, yeah. with happened with Cucurella going to Chelsea, it looked like he was going to go to City first. So um, they we'll want what... um, they want Sergio Gomez from Anderlecht, who's a, a good young left back who will play a good backup to Cancelo. And I wonder if his ceiling of potential has just got even higher because he now might have the opportunity to be a fullback in a Pep Guardiola team. That that could be a great signing, actually. Someone that yeah. apparently Villa were looking at in January, so I know a little bit about him. He looked really frightening. So, I don't know. I don't think Man City would be that bothered about Cucurella if it was £63 no. million for him and they can get Gomez for about 25 It's interesting, though. They took their fullbacks in for this game, didn't they? Played them like mm. in the midfield and packed the midfield completely. Really stretched mm. West Ham. Well, didn't stretch West Ham. It made them pay, play compact and that didn't really work out for them at all. So, Fair play for the tactical switch there. Really supported the way Pep wanted to play in this particular game. But just a word on West Ham, if you can, Miles. Um, Skamaka came on, um, yeah. looked decent. But what did you make mm-hmm. of them? They'll be disappointed to not really make a dent in City, won't they? Yeah, they didn't really get started in this game. It, it's such a horrible opening day fixture to be playing Man City, if we're totally honest. So it's hard to read a lot into to West Ham's performance. There were moments on the ball where Declan Rice looked like the Declan Rice of last season. He looked really assured. But then there were moments off the ball where he didn't really track the runners the way that we got used to him playing last season. And then, of course, Skamaka isn't quite ready to start a game yet, but came on, looked sharp. He had one good header at goal where he was offside, but yeah. you at least seen him trying to get in behind that defender. And when you are playing a team like Man City, West Ham have got the forwards to hold the ball up try and take the chances that they get late on in the game and release players like Bowen by kind of looking to utilise the pace of the wider players while they keep the ball in the centre. So I think they'll do fine this year. I I can't see them challenging the big six, but it depends what a good season is for West Ham now. They, They should be looking at the Conference League. After the run they had in the Europa League last year and how much that galvanised the fans, They've gone down a tier, but it's still a European competition. Mm-hmm. And you've seen what it did for Roma in terms of how it might kick a team on. So I think that's got to be West Ham's first aim this season. Yeah. And if they do a little bit more business in the window, I think that they could they could achieve something there instead. Yeah, I agree. I think they we said last week, last uh, time around last season that West Ham were just a few players short of a squad that was deep enough really to challenge mm-hmm. in all competitions but yeah. I think they've got to kind of pick the one they want to prioritise and I think that might be a cup at this rate because there's so much competition in the Premier League isn't there Yeah. but even so um, I'm going to have to move across to the red side of Manchester now Dave and wow the Eric Ten Hag era started exactly as the Ralph Ranić era finished uh, which was with a really miserable performance wasn't it losing to Brighton 2-1 could have been more uh, what are your takeaways from, from this game Dave and I mean how do you think Eric Ten Hag is going to be processing this result going forward? 
It's telling us a few things that we already know and we have known for a number of years. The midfield isn't good enough. It's mm. not big enough for you know too long, and it's kind of a broken record now. Really, it's it's worrying that the defence still. It seems like they've just you know only been playing together a few weeks. Fair fair enough. Obviously, you got Sandro Martinez, who to be fair, I don't think was at fault for for either of the goals. Mm. Who's obviously a very new player, uh, but you've got. You know, three of the players in that back, back four who have been fixture in that quite a while. We seem to be making the same mistakes over and over, and it's really worrying that it's just happen, happening continuously. And the midfield, the amount of gaps in our midfield, you know, throughout a game, we're just so easy to play against. And it's actually... I know Gary Neville obviously mentioned that we're the easiest team to play in the league, and you know that says it all, really. Uh, I actually don't. I actually think that's probably one of the worst midfield pairings in the league. And yeah. you're playing United, McTominay and Fred, and you know Roy Keane said it at half time. They aren't good enough for Man United. And it's you know we've known for, we've known it for the last couple of years that they're not, and that's that's been the case and. It's almost like Ten Hag's come in and we're kind of hoping that he'll be able to work these miracles and get them to play, you know, get that extra 15, 20% out of them. But mm. it's not looking good, is it? Well, um, who are you blaming then, Dave, if that's the case? The board, the, the owners, you know, it's it's the same. Do you know what I mean? I, mm. I don't want to keep going on about it because it just, it riles you up even more thinking about it and how frustrating it is because there's there's not an ending it's you know it's like we're going round and round in circles and it's the same arguments and frustrations every single week yeah uh, and i don't want to keep coming on this podcast and speaking about the same things moaning about the same frustrations and yeah because that's all it ever seems to be i think uh, with the midfield as well i know but the the scary thing, really, is that our best player was probably Christian Eriksen. I mean, he's a, you know he's a proven quality player. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that some of our players who've been there for a number of years now couldn't stand up and kind of make a, a statement in that team and stand up and make a difference is another worry. Bruno Fernandez has been under par for a long, long time. Yeah. Space here for McTominay. McAllister reacts late. And Fernandez sweeps it over. I, I, I think one thing Ten Hag did get wrong was playing Christian Eriksen in that false nine. So weird. I, I just thought everyone, if that was going to happen, I think everyone anticipated that Bruno would be in the false nine position and drop Eriksen a bit deeper because once Eriksen did drop deeper in that second half, we looked, we looked far better. We also, It was so much by, better. By no means, any means, you know, perfect we weren't, mm. we weren't great still but we looked more threatening there was as soon as Ronaldo came on there was a system yeah. in place we looked like we could potentially create something without being yeah Ten Hag system as well think about he's had Sebastian Haller at, at Ajax last year 
performing to the levels that he was as a focal number nine. I cannot understand the idea of trying to start the season with a false number mm-hmm. nine. I understand that Martial was injured and that he didn't feel like Ronaldo was ready to start the game. But surely you just move Rashford to the centre and play Alanga. That 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 was the most yeah. obvious answer. How United have got to a point where I'm. Dave says he's frustrated talking about this repeatedly, and I completely understand. I'm actually looking forward to dissecting this because it just there's so many obvious problems that, yeah. as a neutral, it was really clear to identify. So take any bias about the board out of it. What I would say is the fact that United were willing to start the season with Fred and McTominay in centre midfield again is is shocking. And that does boil down to really poor business. I've said from day one, I do not think they'll get Frankie de Jong and that they'll waste the entire transfer window trying to get Frankie de Jong and end up with Fred McTominay. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And actually, as Dave says, when Ericsson was allowed to drop deeper, he looked to make things happen from midfield, just as he did at Brentford last year, just as are his strengths right now. So Ten Hag picked to play one of his actual new midfielders out of position and completely nullify anything that he would be able to do in the first half. That was a bad decision. When you do have the squad, not of the best quality necessarily, to cater to your system a lot more. Alanga showed last season what he was capable of. Why didn't he start the game? That's what I, mm. I couldn't work out. And Lissandra Martinez, again, I, I would have put him in midfield for this game. If you didn't yeah. have the, the, the starting lineup that you wanted, play Varane at the back. Because Martinez, you say Davey wasn't to fault for either of the goals. I thought he was at fault for a few other things. He definitely gave away a penalty that I don't yep. know how it wasn't given. And in, in the first 15 seconds, him and Dallow kind of got confused and looked like they could have conceded. And, and uh, immediately they were off to the wrong start. The momentum was against them from the second that lineup came out. As soon as you saw Fred and McTominay in that midfield, Brighton would have gone, brilliant, we've yeah. got this. We've got nothing to worry about up front because Ericsson is not going to be running in behind our defenders, which is actually probably the best way of getting at Brighton. They haven't got the paciest centre-backs. You want to put balls through the, the channels and get behind their defenders. You couldn't do that in this game. And it, it was the wrong system picked. And I don't know whether that's Ten Hag being naive and not knowing the league yet, not knowing his squad yet, not having people fear, or the failings of the board to not give him the adequate resources. Because yeah. you are not going to get Frankie de Jong. And apparently the, the backup now that they're finally looking at is Adrian Rabiot yeah, and Mark Arnautovic. You've got an, a disrupted dressing room that are leaking things every five seconds, and your answer to fix it and make it more harmonious is to bring in Mark Arnautovic and Adrian Rabiot. It... It's ridiculous. How either of you deal with it. It's a, like an Igalo situation all over again, that kind of signing. We signed Igalo a few seasons back. No good. Nice guy, though. And Agalo was, wasn't there to lead your line or be someone. He was there as cover, as an experienced pro, a professional yeah. player. Getting that from Arnautovic. How on earth are him and Cristiano Ronaldo going to get on in the dressing room? And then you go, I'm not sure that's enough. Tell you what, we'll bring Rabiot in, who's known for retiring from France at 23 because he didn't get picked for a squad and threw his toys out of the pram. Then negotiating a massive contract with Juventus to get out of PSG, and now he's unsettled there. So you go, we'll have him instead. It's it's someone's got to have a plan. Someone, yeah. someone has surely. There isn't a plan. That's the thing. Uh, obviously, there's no, there was no clear backup to the Dion come. Not you know potentially that not coming on, as we can see now, um, and it's just a mess. The, the, uh, what came out a few weeks ago about Richard Arnold getting 
Alex Ferguson and um, Brian Robson in for advice on. I'm sorry, but it's it's like we're going, you know, mm. we're in the top zone and we're seeing the same mistake made over and over. Yeah, we need a foot, you know, a, a, we clearly need a director of football, a proper director of football, <laughs> and that it won't ever happen with these owners in charge. I haven't heard that one before. Right, sticking to the game, Dave, because we could get too big a picture here with United, couldn't we? If you take away two of the team's best players, how do Brighton still produce a performance like that? Because we need to give them some praise as well. They've lost Kukurea, mm. they've lost Basuma, two mm-hmm. integral parts of the team. And you wouldn't even know they weren't there. They played pretty well for all United's flaws. So, Miles, I'll go to you. Brighton look okay, don't they? They look a decently coached team. Actually, this yeah. is the biggest difference you could see between the two. That's it. And that's not to say that Ten Hag's not a good coach, but Potter has had a lot more time with this squad. So even with losing those two vital players, Brighton's strategy and their organisation means that they're already starting to replace them with Casado. He looks fantastic. Danny Welbeck looked like a man reborn in this game. I listened to an interview with him earlier, actually. He talked about how this is the first full pre-season he's had in years and it really showed he looks so up for it which he always is against United because I feel like he still kind of feels he has a point to prove there and he proved it he might not have got a goal but he was so tenacious he really had he had both of United's fullbacks at varying times pushed back and that was really good for him in terms of nullifying that system Trossard looked great as well on the left hand side I thought he He's starting to look like the player that Brighton were really hoping he would be. And of course, Pascal Gross loves playing Man United. I think he's got six goals against them now. And he was just in the right place at the right time for both of them. And the fact that he was in that right place isn't a coincidence. That's very clearly part of Potter's philosophy of being able to occupy the right spaces at the right time, understanding the dynamics with the team. And actually, they've not disrupted that team with too many incomings. And they've dealt with the outgoings really smoothly. And now Potter has got money. What could what could he do with Brighton and a bit of money? I, I think that's such an interesting thought because he yeah. looks like he looks like probably one of the top four, maybe five coaches in the league right now. And he's at Brighton. So I'm really interested to see what their ceiling is this year because I still think their squad is too short to really challenge for anything like Europe across the whole yeah. season. But if you give Potter the, the money that they've brought in. I wonder what he could do with it because they looked fantastic again. Yeah, fair comment. We've said him is the only real next candidate for the England job. I know that's looking ahead and Brighton fans won't like me saying that, but he's the outstanding candidate really, isn't he? So yeah, fair play to Brighton. Uh, we're going to move on because we've got a lot of football to talk through. Just a few <laughs> highlights to to kind of mention. First of all, Tottenham beating Southampton 4-1. We kind of expected that kind of result. Southampton looked like they were always going to struggle and Spurs were fantastic. I think we all predicted yeah. that would be the case. Uh, Newcastle beating Newcomers Forest 2-0. Bruno Guimaraes looked fantastic. He's an outside bet for player of the season for me. I think he's really, really <laughs> solid. Um, Leeds winning 2-1 against Wolves as well. Um, I think Leeds might do okay. I like mm-hmm. their new signings and we said that in the pre-season talk, didn't we? They look like good good signings for them. Uh, one I'm going to land on to get your opinion on is Bournemouth 2 Villa nil, And I know you don't want to zoom in on it too much, but we've got to talk about these newly promoted teams and Fulham have done well. Bournemouth did pretty well. I didn't think Scott Parker was that good a coach, but they were set up really well. Um, and Villa struggled. How did Villa struggle, Miles? On paper, they've got such a great squad. What did Gerard do wrong? A lot. <laughs> How long you got? The floor's uh, yours, mate. Go for it. 
So Bournemouth, Bournemouth did set up well, but not as well as we made them look. I think Villa's tactics were just so backwards. Gerard has done so much wrong this week. I'm totally honest. Uh, the selection for this game was completely wrong. I mean, leaving Tyra Mings out is bizarre. And mm. he gets a lot of stick from some Villa fans. And all of a sudden this week, he's become the best player Villa have ever had, if you judge Villa Twitter. The balance of whether he should be in the lineup or not is, is, is a hard one. But to me, it's obvious based on his numbers. He's Villa's best defender. Now, Diego Carlos is a fantastic centre-back and will definitely become great for Villa. But right now, when you look at the evidence, Villa's win percentage without Tyrone Mings over the last two years, I think, is 10%. And if you look at the numbers he posted last year, he was Villa's best defender in terms of aerial duels, tackles, blocks, everything. He's a top percentile. He's so, so influential in that Villa team and such a leader. And his communication helps that system so much. And we missed him massively. And we conceded two silly goals. Then when you look at going forward, he's put in a forward three of Leon Bailey, Philippe Coutinho and Danny Ings. A very good forward three. You may not be a Villa fan, anyone watching. The first thing you would say is the strength of those players are Bailey is really quick. Danny Ings, if you give him the ball at his feet, is a lethal finisher. And Coutinho, with the ball at his feet, can make magic happen. We put 31 crosses into the box this weekend. For that forward line. Yeah. And, and Bournemouth just dealt with it all day. They had these big towering centre-backs that were just able to just knock everything away. It was completely pointless. And I watched it for the first half, feeling so infuriated and thought, at half-time, Gerard's going to go mental. Every time Coutinho has touched the ball, he's lost it. We keep trying to lump these balls into Danny Ings and he's not won one of them. He'll change something. And he brought Buendia on eventually. The fact that he didn't start him in the first place is bizarre, but we'll move on from that. And then nothing changed. He just, again, we were just crossing balls in, just crossing balls in. You can look at that Villa team and think they were missing their best centre-back. He was on the bench. They were missing the, probably their best creative player in Brendia. He was on the bench. And they didn't play Ollie Watkins. I, Gerard has wound me right up this week, I'll yeah. be totally honest. And if you look at his stats, he's now got a worse record at Villa than Gary Neville had at Valencia. He has the same win wow. percentage, but has lost more games. <sighs> under the radar, but he ended the season very poorly. I don't think he's had a good preseason. We're seeing the Gerard that we saw at Rangers, where his comments in the press have wound me up. The way he's talked about Tyrone Mings is, is awful to me. He said he needs to look at himself and work out what his next goals are and who he is as a player. No, he doesn't. Tara Mings is an excellent centre-back and has done way more for Villa than Gerard has done in his yeah. short time there and will do, in my opinion. He's a I fantastic leader in that team. A very gracious response to taking the captaincy away from mm-hmm. him as well in social media. Yeah. I thought, handled himself brilliantly there. He always does. Mings mm. is, is excellent off the pitch as well. He got a lot of stick, Mings, early in his career as being a bit violent and maybe not the best character because of a few incidents on the pitch. At the moment, he is in the middle of setting up a foundation in Ghana to help support the Villa, the Ghana Lions and all the Villa fans that are out there. He's also setting up academies in Birmingham. He's a massive part of the community. Mm-hmm. And along with that, has been Villa's best defender for the last four years. And Gerard has come in and gone, well, I want my captain. The comments he made about why he's changed the captaincy, I just I didn't like. He's also then left him out of the starting 11. And it feels like it's to prove a point. 
You've got Morgan Sanson not in the matchday squad posting on Instagram. By the way, I'm 100% fit and readily available with a laughing face just before kickoff. So he's clearly wound him up as well. He's asked questions about Coutinho's form and he's, he's ignored the question. And he's talked about the reason we lost this game was we didn't have enough quality. Yes, we do. We've got far more quality than Bournemouth. No disrespect to Bournemouth, but they're a newly promoted side that have signed three players that have never played in the Premier League. Except, you know, Ryan Fredericks has, who didn't play in this game. And we've got a side that we're saying should be competing for Europe. And Gerard's response is there's not enough quality. No, you just set them up wrong. That's it. I thought I thought not playing Ellie Watkins was a strange one for me. Stupid. Yeah. yeah. Strange decisions everywhere. I mean, I'm not even going to begin to, to pick apart why Gerard's being so... I don't know. He's quite angry at the minute with his squad. And I don't know why that yeah. is. Can you put your finger on it? And what's the feeling of Villa fans, Miles? That's that's him. He was like this at Rangers. When he first took over at Rangers, every post-match press conference was him throwing a different player under the bus. And he's trying to be more diplomatic about it these days. And he said, oh, yeah, it's on me, but there wasn't enough quality in the final third. Yeah, it is on me, but we didn't put good enough quality crosses in. No. He really wound me up this week. And looking at his record, if I saw on... Uh, Sky Sports headline pop up as we're recording this. Gerard removed from his position at Villa. I would not shed a single tear. I, I, wow. I miss Dean Smith massively. <laughs> I was totally about to say, yeah, bring back Dean Smith at this rate by the, the there's sounds. Already, there's already Villa fans all over Twitter going, "Can we get Pochettino?" And I, I don't think Pochettino would come to Villa. But I've, I, if Gerard left today, I wouldn't be upset about it. And I always want to back the manager. I always do. When you look at his record, you can't justify it. And the board. I've backed him to a degree by bringing in the players that he would want. And he's done very well in the transfer market, but it's not translating on the pitch and that's not good enough. If you gave a quality manager, if you gave Graham Potter this squad, Villa would be in the top six this season. I genuinely oh, yeah. believe that. But I, I think we'll be looking at mid-table now, which is so frustrating. It's, yeah. I don't think Gerard will last long. I'll be totally honest looking at that. that even It seems harsh to react to an opening weekend like that, but it's 26 games now, I think. And the record speaks for itself. I'm astonished that you've had more of a rant than Dave about your club. That's a first, I think. And uh, it shows Not how upset you are, though. That's the thing. Not the club, but the way the, the club, club is great. being managed at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I think that the board have been excellent. I think that the way they've done their transfer business this summer has been fa fantastic, as it has been for years since we took, had the takeover. Our club is run fantastically well. And I understand why they're trying to give Gerard time but he's handled it very poorly at the moment. And look, he could get four wins in a row now and I'll go, all right, fair enough, he sorted it out. But I'd be really surprised if that happened. We definitely need more work in the market. The talk is we're looking at Ross Barkley again, which doesn't inspire me. We were being linked with Wijnaldum. He's now gone to Roma. We've been linked mm -hmm. with Depay. I, I can't see us pulling that one off. I, if I was Depay, I'd look at Gerard's record and go, as phenomenal as you are as a player, I don't want to join this right now. I think he's spent enough, don't you? I think Gerard's had the money he needed. It's up to we've him not now. spent anything. We've, if you look at our net spend this summer, I think we're—I think we've spent two million or something like that. It's very—it's actually very low. Our wages uh, have been high, but we've because we just sold Chukwemeka for twenty million, mm. and obviously we sold Matt Target for about seventeen million. We've not spent very much money, so there should be more money there. Actually, right? I don't know. I'd be surprised. What an odd situation at Villa. I honestly didn't expect them and that situation to be like it is. But uh, we move on. Hopefully next week we'll have uh, more positive things to talk about from both channels.
But, We're playing um, Everton, so it should be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to move on to those results next. So Everton uh, started their season with a 1-0 loss to Chelsea. Uh, Arsenal beat Crystal Palace in their first game. Uh, I think another one to, to mention before we wrap up, Dave, is just Leicester 2 all against Brentford. What were your thoughts on Leicester's performance? They're the only team in, in the top flight and the whole team in the whole of Europe, I think, as well, if I'm uh, not mistaken, in the top five leagues yeah, to not have signed anybody. They've let the captain go in Kasper Schmeichel. Are you concerned about them or what did you make of their performance? I think the only trend, really, that seems to be, you know, followed on from last season is them taking the lead and, you know, a 2-0 lead at that and conceding some silly goals, which is, you know, something we've spoken about for good, a good time now. It, you know, that, that needs to be resolved. I know, obviously, it's the first game of the season. That's, I mean, obviously, we're not this fans, but... I can imagine it's quite frustrating um, for Leicester fans to see that happening yet again. Uh, not just being frustrated that, for the fact that they've not um, that they've not signed anyone, but it, uh, I can imagine that they probably will. It, it's looking to me like Bafana will probably eventually go to Chelsea. There's a lot of talk apparently that Chelsea yeah. are prepared to pay up to eighty five million pounds, which is ridiculous. Mad. Um, Especially on the back of Offsling coming back from a, a really big injury as well. He still needs a bit of time for me, another year of playing football before he probably considers another year. But if, if they sell him, I can see Leicester going to the market potentially, strengthening again. They'll definitely need probably a couple more defenders in there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, it was good to see Vardy in there. Obviously, um, we thought. You know, last season we did speak about it, it looked like it could be his last season as a, as a starter, really, upon getting to that age that he's at now. Um, so it's good to see him in there and obviously making an impact. But I think they'll be really disappointed not to see it all three points, especially being 2 0. I think it's um, sad to see Schmeichel not there. He's such a club legend. I don't think Danny Ward is going to be. A permanent number one, he can't be. I mean, he's a decent backup keeper, but he's not a first choice for a team with aspirations like Leicester. But you kind of get the feeling that, yeah, they need a big sale, like they have done over the, the last few years, and they make a lot of money from it. Fafana might be that guy by the sounds of it. But I don't doubt the scouting team have probably got a few players in line as soon as that happens, and maybe we'll see like a domino effect from then on. Miles, your word on Leicester quickly? I'm really worried about them, to be totally honest, because I don't think Fafana will be the only one out the door. Newcastle yeah. are sniffing around both Barnes and Madison. And I think if you're a player like James Madison or Harvey Barnes and you've got aspirations of playing at the top level because they're that kind of quality, getting into the England squad, I don't think I would want to be necessarily associated with this Leicester team, particularly if they aren't going to strengthen in the window. You want to be competing. So Leicester could make big money, but if you lose... Fafana, Madison, Tielemans and Harvey Barnes, that Leicester team is a championship team at best. It's not good enough as a squad. And if you, I think Ricardo Pereira has just picked up another six-month injury as well. So their depth is just getting taken away slowly. And the fact that they've been so quiet in the market I've not even heard rumours of players linked with Leicester. No, no. Not even just that they're not doing business, but there's not even people linked. Lookman's just gone and joined Atalanta, so they're not even bringing him back. It's just, I don't really know what's going on with Leicester. It's, no. I, I'll be honest, my prediction now, Brendan Rodgers will be gone by Christmas because he won't want to be there. 
They'll mm. lose Fofana, Tielemans and Madison. I think Barnes will stay. And I think Leicester could be 15th, 16th come Christmas and really panicking. Wow. I think it's a successful window for Leicester by the sounds of it then, just keeping as many of the players as they can. I think that's the aim one, now, I think. One really quick point on Brentford though as well, and yeah. they, they won't like me saying this at all. One thing I'm really surprised by in this window when so many teams are looking to move towards number nines, how much money would it take to get Ivan Tony from Brentford? Yeah. I, I don't think it would be as much as as maybe his value is right now. No. I honestly, if Villa, if Villa went to Brentford now and said, we'll give you 20 million <laughs> Danny Ings for Ivan Tony, I think both teams would take that. Yeah, I'd, 40 right. million for Ivan Tony, I think Brentford would take it. And yeah. I think he would improve anyone outside the top five or six teams. United, yeah. could, United could do with Ivan Tony. I'd take him over on Artovich, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even. I think he's a very, very quality forward, and put in a good yeah. team, I think he'd do really, really well. I think I'm really surprised he's still there, and they're getting yeah. Dan's guy as well, which is a great signing. Yeah, Brentford. I mean, good resilience for them to get back into the game, and yeah. Silver to score his goal after what he's been through, oh. and a great goal as well it was nice to see. So yeah, fair play to mm. him. Uh, on that note, actually, Miles, to wrap up, what is your goal of the week? Is it De Silva, or have you got something else in mind? De Silva's goal was was excellent. It wasn't the only good goal that we saw this weekend, but the best of the bunch for me, it's got to be Fabian Scher. Fabian Scher. He can hit them. Oh, he can hit them. A player that we probably didn't expect to start this weekend because we thought it would be Sven Botman in there, but almost a carbon copy of a previous goal. That was an absolute thunderbolt. A, a brilliant hit from him. That's, that's goal of the week for me. Brilliant. And dare I ask, who's your hero and villain to wrap up this uh, this first game week of the Premier League season? Hero, Alexander Mitrovic. People have been questioning him and saying, can he do it in the Premier League? And he's just gone and got two goals against a team that are favoured as champions on the opening day and bullied probably the best centre-back in world football. So can Mitrovic do it in the Premier League? Yes. <laughs> Very clearly, yes, he can. And the villain, yeah. well, I've said enough already. I think we all know where I'm going to go with this. I think with his comments in the press, how badly his record is starting to look and, and how wrong he got the opening day, Steven Gerrard's. I'm happy to see, see my Liverpool bias come here to make Gerrard my villain and the guy who scored two goals against him the hero. Fantastic. Nice one. Well, I think that's a nice way to wrap it up. And do you know what? I think I agree with all your choices. So good choice, mate. Um, <laughs> that's it for the first part of the season. Thank you for joining us. And please do hit subscribe and hit a like on the video if you can. If you want listening on Spotify too, yeah, follow would be amazing. But just share, please. Let us uh, let everybody know that yeah. you uh, you watch us and listen to us. That'd be the biggest thing you could do to help us out. But guys, thank you. It's been a been a pleasure. We squeezed a lot of football into that small amount of time. Um, see you again next time. Cheers, guys. See you then. Thanks, guys.